0: Have you been scrolling through many, many, many film podcasts thinking there's far too many of these? Or have you been thinking there's something missing? There's something we're not quite getting. A waffler from Northern England reviewing films, for example. Welcome to, ah, oh, review it yourself. No politics, no pandering, no point. Welcome back to part two of Review It Yourself. We're discussing Dawn of the Dead, 1978. Quick clarification on something I said in the first part. Just been reading up, apparently, when Roger and Peter make the raid, so the police SWAT team make the raid on the housing project. Uh, where, obviously, it's mainly black and Latino tenants. Apparently, they raid that because they're defying the martial law of delivering their dead to the National Guard. But I don't, I don't remember hearing any of that in the film. Obviously, they talk about what they've done in terms of why did they put the dead down here. But they don't make that clear, to be fair. And, obviously, the tenants are just trying to defend themselves obviously there's no criminality gone there that's that's my mistake on that one and the anyway so just a bit of clarification there on that one so just to continue on so where we last where we last left off um the guys were bantering because they're putting the trucks in front of all the major exits um to try and make it more secure as much against anybody else who might come along, um, as opposed to just for the undead. Excuse me, because at this point, they've cleared uh, the, the mall of the undead. And, you know, you see Roger really starts to lose his composure. He's been the one up until this point who's been, you know, calm, collected. And he really starts to kind of become quite manic. And he's not focusing as much. You can tell he's a person and I think this comes from Scott uh, Reininger in the making, the making of, on the uh, DVD that I've got. He talks about how you know Roger's biggest flaw is he believes he'll always come through whatever the odds, and it you know it comes back to bite him literally because he, he gets bitten um, a few times by by the undead. They managed to block all the doors, of course, but he, he gets bitten. And they, basically, obviously, the guys are all are all, are all gutted, really. Obviously, he doesn't die immediately. He's, he's just been bitten on he's at the leg and the wrist, I think. So he he doesn't die. Obviously, they treat him and Fran gives him morphine and that all that. You know, they bandage him up and everything, but he really does start to degrade over the next, few, the next few days. They don't make it clear how long it is, but I think it's only a few days. Uh, because obviously peter says he, he no one he's seen get bitten lasted more than three days before they turned and you know they've clear they cleared the mall of uh of the undead they put them in the freezer they've, they've got big industrial freezers of course in this mall and they put them in the freezers and there's a shot where they put he puts they do it with dignity but they they put the one of the the undead's corpses down and next to this you know slab of cold meat it's literally the meat freezer and you think oh that that's a a haunting comparison right there and you know the, the, this is the part where there's the, you know montage of where the shopping and ice skating the golfing uh they're going on like fairground rides and the really kind of it looks like they're enjoying themselves, but there's, there's always this horrible, obviously it's all clean and safe and everything inside them all, but there's always that thought in the back of the mind that the, the undead are trying to get in. Somebody else is bound to come at some point because the power's still on and there's a helicopter on the roof. And, you know, but obviously Roger's suffering and this is where you get the classic line of, you know, where there's no more room in hell. The dead will walk the earth. Uh, you know, they're giving Roger morphine, but obviously the infection is getting worse, and you know he does it again. Back to the conversations that this f- film has that you don't see in zombie films, uh, many of them anyway, Is there's a conversation between Roger and Peter that where Roger gets quite emotional and says, "You know, I'm gonna try, I'm gonna try not to come back. Wait, wait to you know." he Knows he's dying and he, he says, Wait, wait until I'm definitely going to come back. I'm going to try not to come back, uh, you know, because he, he doesn't want to be walking around and he asks, you know, Peter to take care of it, which you know, unfortunately, he does. And it it got me thinking that right at the beginning, when the scientists, like, well, there's another scientist actually, I tell a lot, there's another scientist with an eye patch who talks about how we need to be logical, we need to remain logical. It's not about emotion. The presenter's kicking off basically saying, that's not how people are. That's not how people are. You know, you scientists are always doing this, which, you know, I think given the past couple of years, you can understand why there's that disconnect between sometimes what scientists say, because they, they, you know, they state things. They're not interested in the emotions of things that, you know, uh, and you see this in this film that, that, this you know, but he the scientist is right because every time a character loses their head or acts purely out of emotions rather than logic, they they end up getting their comeuppance. So you know, Roger's the first one, and I think there's a there's a part when um what's his name. Peter is obviously hitting a. He's playing like squash, but with tennis balls on the roof. And a, one of the tennis balls falls off and rolls off the roof and hits the ground right next to, you know, a corpse. And that's when it shows you that there are more undead outside waiting to get in. And you know that the numbers are growing. And this going back to how in the background there's always this awful feeling, no matter how safe they are that they aren't safe at all. Uh, that what's happening in the outside world that you know the television has been off for two or three days and Stephen keeps it on because he says oh it could come back on whereas you know Fran turns it off and he turns it back on. And you know they they have this lovely romantic meal and Peter you know and Peter goes outside and toasts um Roger because they've, they've kind of buried him in the mall in this kind of near the fountains and things and there's always that behind it you know Stephen proposes to her during this meal and obviously she says no it's it's not the right time not the right time at all it it wouldn't be right it wouldn't be proper you know and you can see it it dawns on him then that no matter how nice it is around them how nice this they've got a lovely apartment obviously they've decked it out with all the stuff from the mall but the television sits in static behind it. So it's like, yeah, it looks beautiful. But, you know, look, look what's going on. It's that awful undercurrent all the time. And which I think is part of of, of Romero's comment on, you know, America in, in in the late 70s that, you know, they were building all these beautiful malls, but, you know, they were, the you know they were caught up in, you know domestically things weren't going fantastically. You know the Vietnam War was still was still going on, and that and that kind of thing. That I mean that's just my interpretation anyway. But that's what I love about films like this. Not only is it you know, not only is it fun, you know, and serious, and it has a a message behind it. You can read into it. You can enjoy it. You could just watch it and enjoy it for, for what it is, for, for uh, you know, a good romp. But, you know, if you want to look further into it for these messages, they're there. And they're not so subtle that they're invisible, kind of like Starship Troopers was a little bit. I can't believe I've just compared Dawn of the Dead to Starship Troopers. <laughs> anyway. um, So, basically... They they you know they decide to put some supplies in the helicopter. And you see that Stephen has in fact taught Fran how to fly. And obviously she's getting more and more pregnant and she's getting more on the sickness and things. But she's still really strong with it. She says, No, leave me alone, you know, I'm dealing with this. To Stephen, let you know, let me be. I don't want you to see me like this. You know, you see that there's definitely, I don't know how much of the input came from the actress. I can, I can, I gather from her interviews quite a lot that she obviously was saying, No, I, I want her to be strong. You know, and she is, she learns how to shoot and all that kind of thing. And you find out at this point they're being watched by a biker gang. And, you know, they message them over the radio and say, there's only three of us, but obviously the 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 group the three are conflicted about whether to answer or not. They don't answer in the end, and the guys like you've just effed up. We don't like people who don't share. And there's some interesting i have never noticed this before either, despite how much I, I love history. That um, there's a, there's a, some Nazi insignia on the bikers. There's like a swast one of them has a swastika patch on his arm, on like his leather jacket. The guy on the radio has a, a German army helmet on with the SS insignia, the uh, the SS runes on one side. And obviously they attack them all. And, they, you know, Peter realises they'll get in, they'll move the trucks. So they make it as hard as they can. They go to shut the gates on all the stores. And then this is where... Uh, just to go back to how it has the perfect balance between like a fun, almost comic book-esque at times in terms of, you know, the blood's very kind of Tom Savini described it as being like melted wax crayons, whereas George Romero liked it because it made it, you know, it fit in with that comic book style, you know, proper comic book style. And so it's that perfect balance between, you know, a fun comic romp and a serious, you know, emotional film with with this commentary on society. You know, there are some silly parts in it, you know, like they cuss the the bikers come in and custard pie, the zombies. But it never tips over into being farce. I think they knew where the line was. Apparently there was a scene film where George Romero dressed as a Father Christmas and you can see it somewhere, but I couldn't spot it. And his wife dressed as an elf and they were going to run through. But they thought that was a little bit too silly. So I think it does well in, Balancing that very fine line between funny but not tipping into fast, not tipping into, oh, it's, you know, it's, it's ridiculous, jump the shark or nuke the fridge is the new phrases. Thanks, Indiana Jones. And, you know, the basically the flyboy gets really annoyed. Stephen gets really annoyed and says, you know, we took it, it's ours. And he starts shooting at them. And this is, again, the second time where one of the group – Starts to act emotionally rather than through logic because Peter doesn't want to fight them. He knows, you know, there's 20 30 of them, they can't fight them. You know, they're all armed, they've got motorbikes and things, and they need to just make it hard for them and then get out. They're not, he says, though, they're not over the radio, they're not interested in us, you know, just let them come and go. Uh, the noise of the bikes in the mall is unbelievable. Apparently, when they filmed it, it set off all the alarms, which you can hear some of them actually. But the sound the the guy who did the sound said you know you don't realize how how that's going to sound the marble floors and the shopping center it, it sounds great and obviously you've got the music by the goblins in the background of this which helps you know that balance between you know the fun because it's, it's very jaunty type music and you know again whenever one of the four stops thinking logically and acts out of emotion so Stephen acts out of anger. Roger goes kind of a bit manic, and you know, Peter ends up having to shoot back at them and shoot a few of them in retaliation because they obviously spot him as well. And and again, there's there's some racial language in there, you know, and directed towards him. And Stephen ends up getting shot in the arm because he's he's on an elevator and or a lift, and. He gets shot in the arm, which means he struggles to climb out of the elevator shaft later on. and he gets um, he gets he, you know he gets he gets bitten. He manages to push them all out of the elevator and and he, he the doors close on him. But obviously Peter obviously goes to goes to help him, but he hears him get attacked and presumably eaten because you know and there's a scream that. The echo's in the lift shaft, which is quite chilling. And obviously inside, a lot, a few of them get away, of the bikers get away, but the majority of them start getting you know ripped to pieces because obviously they've let the zombies in as well. A guy gets literally ripped to pieces, his stomach and everything. And one gets eaten while he's on a blood pressure machine. But he's daft anyway. One of the guys says to him, we know why he messed about with that earlier on, and then he goes back on it. And gets ripped to pieces. Flyboy, you know, gets gets bitten a lot, quite a few times. And Peter thinks he's dead, and Fran pretty much thinks he's dead. But he said, Peter says, "Look, we'll wait and see. We'll find out before long." And lo and behold, that you know, one of the zombies knocks the lift button, and Flyboy's there as a zombie. And to be fair, he looks like he makes a great zombie. He's got an, he's got a great shuffle. And his gun's like hanging off one of his fingers. And obviously he can remember where the fake wall is, which they'd painted across the apartment upstairs. And this is the point where they decide, right, you know, Fran decides, right, I'm going, I'm getting away. And Pete is like, I don't want to go. And, you know, you think he's going to commit suicide? So he puts the gun to his head. But then he decides not to and, you know, he fights his way out and joins him in the helicopter and he f- does like an, almost like a Western, a classic Western ending. The music swells and they ride off into the, I mean, it's the sunrise, not the sunset, and they're in a helicopter, not, a, not on a horse, but you get the point. And it's quite a, a nice and uplifting ending. For, for But apparently the, the original ending for this was that Peter killed himself and Fran stuck her head in the rotor blades and killed herself as she got surrounded by the zombies And And that's what they made the, apparently that's what they made the head sculpt for, which gets blown up right at the beginning. And that, that was, uh, I mean, that would have been depressing. Really would have been. And I don't think it would have matched the rest of the, the film's tone, which I mean, and the filmmakers agreed because the, they obviously changed it and obviously they fly off into the dawn. And this is, this is the dawn of the dead that this is the tipping point in George Romero's films where the, the dead begin, the the undead, the dead begin to outweigh the living. So that brings us nicely to the end of that one. So that, that was uh dawn of the dead an absolute, the original 1978, an absolute classic. An absolute classic. If you can find this film, give it a watch. It's very very bloody. Um, you know, there's a, there's a few instances of kind of racial language. Um, there, there's a bit of swearing. Not not loads, but obviously it's it's an 18 or an R rating. It's obviously quite bloody. But it's a, it's a great film. And also for people who, who really love films in terms of, you know, films with a message or films that you can watch and enjoy, but also read into and have a really good discussion about. So if you get a chance to, to find it or watch it, uh, please do. I also love, I love the remake they did, Dawn of the Dead, 2004, uh, that Zack Snyder did. I love that film. I'll have to review that at some point, but I feel I've done two films on the bounce that I've seen before. You know, Touching the Void and, you know, George e. Romero's Dawn of the Dead. So I feel I need to pick one I've not seen before. Um, or I'll I'll review Halloween 3 Season of the Witch, which I tried to watch yesterday and I, I got 10 minutes into it and turned it off. I wasn't really, yeah, uh, I wasn't feeling it. So I think that's what we'll, I think that's what we might do. But again, thank you for for joining me for the second part. Thanks for listening. If you can uh, go to Podchaser and review this podcast, I'd really appreciate it. It just helps me get a little bit of feedback about how the podcasts are going, if there's anything that you like, anything you'd like me to to talk about any films you want me to review that you think I'd enjoy, or that you'd just like to hear my my take on, if it's a favourite film of yours. But, so yeah, thank you for listening. I will um, be back with another review soon. Thanks.